welcome back to an enthusiastic episode of DSLR Film New Podcast, where Mitch and I are both wired on some coffee. We are up, going, and, dare I say it, perky this morning as we roll in to the news that, actually, we got quite a few articles that popped up last night and the night before. That sounds like a nursery rhyme. Mitch, what have you been up to, man? Well, not to bring things down, but I lost a cat this week. She passed away after a long illness. Oh, no. Yeah, that was kind of sad. That was uh, Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> As she, was she ripe old age or was it? Uh... Yeah, she she was actually about eight years old. Um, her sister died of kidney problems and we suspect she she had that too. But she quit eating about two weeks beforehand. So we knew it was coming. Well, sorry for your loss, man. Well, thank you. We have four others, and one of them's sitting here trying to bite me right now. Wait, so. four others? Are you yeah. are animal hoarding? <laughs> uh, no, actually, we had. Long story. We had two cats. These these two were twins. The one that just passed away and her sister. But uh, we promised our kids when we remodeled the house that they would get their own little kittens. So each one of them got a kitten. And at the time, we were fostering cats to try to get them adopted. And we ended up with two, uh, which never got adopted. So we just ended up keeping them because they were in our family for so long, we couldn't give them up anymore. So anyway, now we have four. And we love them all. I thought I was hoarding animals with uh, two dogs. It seems like uh, maybe I'm a little bit less of an animal person. Well, our, our intention was not to have this many, that's for sure, because... You know, they all end up passing away at some point. Oh, uh, you love them in between. You have litter boxes too, don't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, that's a lot yes. of uh, it's a lot of extra stuff being created in your house, man. Oh. Um. Well, actually, I found some new stuff, which is way off topic. It's really nice in terms of kitty litter. All right, let's uh, uh, reel this but, back in. But it's better to me than going out in the snow to walk two dogs. All right, let's scoop this show up and get back on the rails here. Oh, oh scoop it. All right, Mitch, uh, last week you were mentioning lenses and that you were eyeballing a few. Uh, did you make any purchases? Actually, gosh, you, I did, and it comes today. What did you, you get? I bought the uh, Canon 135 F2. Oh, one you of my favorites. Yes, I don't uh, have. I've never had it, and I know it overlaps with my seventy to two hundred IS. But um, I was I was looking on eBay, and I found several of them that were like in the six hundred dollar price range, and the list price is a thousand on that. Um, and so, do you ever snipe on on eBay? Uh, I use a I forget what the website is called, but it basically. Uh, sets up my maximum bid and then does the bidding for me so that I do not have to. Yeah. And it uh, it does it to the last like three seconds, two seconds, one oh. second of the auction. So uh, isn't that basically uh, snipe shooting? Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, I got it for six eighty. Nice. Uh, and it arrives today. I just got the notice that UPS is delivering it today. I feel like the one thirty five f two is probably one of the most underrated lenses in Canon's L-series lineup. I mean, it's a great lens. It's really sharp. It's got good reach, and it's a joy to use. And for some reason, people still linger towards the 85 millimeter. But yeah. what do you use the 85 for? Portraits, weddings, yeah. so on? Right. 
And I mean, like, the, the 135 gives you just that much more reach. And I mean, I don't shoot weddings very often, but when I do, uh, having that extra reach gets you away from the subject and keeps you from being noticed. And in weddings especially, what do you want? You want that candid sort of natural shot of someone enjoying themselves, eating the cake, talking to their groom or, in, you know, sharing a private joke. And if you're there with the camera and they can feel your presence, it will be lost immediately yep. because you get what? the I'm posing for the camera face. Yeah. Oh, I hate that. Oh. hate that. On my end, just editing, um, if you're in the Nebraska area, you should swing by the Historic Grand Theater. Uh, there is a film festival that I am in charge of that will be going cool. strong called uh, Prairie Lights. So check that out. Uh, in fact, um, I've just finished authoring the DVDs for that. A number of filmmakers throughout the Midwest have contributed short films to that So. Prairie Lights is what you're looking for. It is at the Grand Theater in Grand Island, Nebraska. Uh, Are you going to be there? No, no, I'm not flying oh. out for that. I organize oh. it, take care of it, do the editing and uh, a lot of the back-end stuff, and then I work with several artists. Uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Matt Keister that takes care of the promotions and the in-person stuff. Um, oh. I believe this year's officiator is uh, Mr. Steve Eaton, uh, famous for films such as The Grand Horror and shoot, I, I'm drawing a blank. Oh, <laughs> he, no! Uh, a bunch of low-budget indie films. He's a great guy. Uh, great uh, MC, and they'll be showing uh, local and international films pretty much all weekend long. And the theater is excellent. It's an old-school uh, 1905-1906 theater back when they used to be named majestic and grand and things of that nature so it's uh, completely restored has all the original seating has the the velvet seat covers and uh, the old curtains and so on really great uh, place and one of the only digital theaters in that neck of the woods in the midwest so really interesting that they've been able to raise enough money to keep that theater going and i always like cool. to promote them yeah. so yeah that's awesome. All right. On that note, enough about that. Let's move on to the news. Time for the news. First up here is actually something that at first I was excited about, and then when I started thinking uh -huh. about it, I'm less excited about. The Zoom H4n has finally met its match with an update to the Zoom H4n Pro. If you're familiar uh -huh. with the H4 line, the original H4 was what started it all with a four-track recorder. It was ugly. It was gray. It reminded you of a taser, and sometimes you would get arrested in the park <laughs> for using it. The H4n has been a decent recorder for a long time, but many complaints, including the clicky buttons and the low power gain in the XLR inputs. They fixed some of this stuff and they've made it a little bit more ergonomic. It now is a little more rubberized, a little more angular, a little more sleek. It does not have the interchangeable capsules that both the H5 and H6 share, but it does share a much lower price. Uh, the retail Yay. on this guy is going to set you back somewhere in the range of $219 while the H5 will set you back about 
$300, and the Zoom H6 will set you back about $400. All these are great choices for field recorders, and the Zoom H4 and Pro is available today. Now, Mitch, we've <laughs> talked about recording in the past. I know you use some wireless lavs and some audio kit. Do you have a field recorder? Uh, actually, I have a Zoom H1 that I use as a field recorder. That's a real pricey unit. I don't know what's the price. I mean, it was ninety nine bucks. I think that because the Zoom H one is so popular, it continues to maintain its sale price of between seventy five and one hundred and fifteen dollars, depending on the accessory packs that you get with it. I still have my Zoom H one as well. I've tried Tascam's offerings and and many others, and I always end up back at the Zoom H one uh, for field recorders. Man, uh, you know what do you need most of the time? Do you always need XLR inputs? No. Exactly. So having an XY pattern microphone, especially what I use mine for is actually audio sampling. If I need to just get a clean tone of a room to mix over something, or if I want to quickly record a guitar riff that I can insert into a sampler and create a music bed for a particular shot, those are all great options. Now, at that price... Yeah, really. So it's 99 bucks okay-ish. How can you say that that gives you decent audio? Come on. Really? What do you mean? doing those kind of things. Okay. That would be more expensive in order to get good audio, right? Now, if you look at the capsules that are used inside of all of the portable XY field recorders, so that includes the Zoom H4n, probably the Zoom H4n2, the XY capsules that are in the H5 and the H6, the XY capsules that are used in the Tascam series, as well as some of the other ones out there. There's so many that I can't even think of all the names. The <laughs> capsules themselves, the little microphones that are built into those two little deals at the top, are identical. Uh, they are made by a very specific manufacturer. You can order them OEM for about 10 to $15, <laughs> and you could possibly build your own audio recorder or put a preamp behind them and create an XY capsule of the same type. Uh, in fact, they are so common that for about 35 to $40, and I could probably find this on Amazon, you can buy just the XY capsules with a preamp behind it and run that directly into your camera. And the price is representative of the price of the microphones themselves. So, you know, when people complain about the XY mics in the H1, the H4n, they're basically complaining about every XY mic uh, available in every field recorder. You know some stuff, DJ. I'm always impressed that you know all of these internal details because most people would assume that if you're paying $500 for a recorder versus, I'm sorry, nothing's $500 these days unless you get into the really fancy stuff. Uh, but the handheld ones, like you said, even the H6 has the same mics as the H1. That's amazing. The only difference is spacing. And in fact, here is one example right here, Mitch. For $54.95, you're basically buying a Zoom H1 without the internal recording section. So this has the same mic capsules. It is capable 
of uh, moving those mic capsules about so you can change from an XY pattern to a, uh, what do you call that, when it's pointing out in both 120 degree or a 90 degree would probably be a better term to use. And this has just a cold shoe adapter as well as a cable out for your mic. And in fact, I'll show, or I'll put links to this in the show notes because it is fairly useful if that's all you're trying to do. Yeah. Now, back to the Zoom H4M Pro. Yeah. There are some positives and some negatives. So first of all, if you're a field recorder aficionado, one of the major complaints about the Zoom H4n is the preamps. They were quiet and they were noisy at low levels. Uh, they've updated that with the same preamps that are used in now the H5 and the H6. So hopefully we'll get more gain out of this. I believe they're saying a possible 43 dB of gain out of the inputs on this, which is nice. And it's supposed to have a noise floor somewhere in the minus 40 to minus 50 range, which is also good. Uh, they did not fix the placement of the 3.5 millimeter input jack for uh, the stereo input on the unit. It's still in the back in a really inconvenient location and they did not fix the volume knobs. So if you're familiar with the Zoom H4n, you click to turn the volume up and down on the inputs and that is still the case on this, which is not nearly as smooth as a dialed knob. And Mitch is about ready to fall asleep on me as I dig deep into this. Okay, in all of reality, Mitch, are you ever going to get an XLR-style input uh, field recorder of any kind? Is that even something you would need? Uh, actually, uh, I do have um, the... What's Robert's company's name? My brain is going. Oh, you're talking about Juice, uh, Juice Link? Yes. Uh, Robert sent me um, one of the. You talk about names not coming to you. One of the one of the little units which has the XLR input. The Riggy R33. That's the one. Um, and I use that because it's got good preamps in it, and it doesn't record. But I send that straight into my camera, and that's that's all I need. You know, you can put that in front of the uh, Zoom H1, and now you are basically up to a Zoom H4n. There you go. See? I don't even need one. Uh, <laughs> the other thing that I, I did say that, that people were excited about with this uh, H4n Pro is that it has locking XLR input. Yeah, that's true. Which the other ones didn't have, so you could end up wiggling out your... You know, that's excitement, isn't it? We're talking about <laughs> locking XLR input. Well, there's actually um, a number of reported issues where people bought cheaper XLR cables and they were not built quite to spec. And the plastic tolerance inside of the Zoom H4n was such that once they managed to get the cable inside, they oh. were unable to physically pull the cable out oh, again, no. period. And uh, oh, no. that was even worse with the Tascam DR60, or no, not DR60, DR40D, because great naming with the 40, the 60, the 70, the 701. Awesome job, Tascam. Makes it really easy to figure out what you're talking about. The 40D has the locking tabs, and it's the same issue. The tolerances were such on the locking tabs that if you used a cheaper XLR cable, sometimes you could literally get it jammed in there, and the clip would not release. So uh, just something to be aware of. Buy some nicer cables. Don't, don't get the cheap stuff. Don't buy monster cables. 
But uh, if you're on Amazon and you see a 20-foot XLR cable for $3.75, that is probably not the one you want. Just Why not buy monster cables? Aren't they gold-plated and gold anodized? <sighs> I hope I don't get any hate mail for this, but that's shenanigans. That is all <laughs> shenanigans. Uh, I mean, it, it is quite plausible that they coat them in gold, but that in almost <laughs> no way affects uh, the impedance and resistance of your cables back to your devices. So uh, don't do that. Um, one okay. thing you do want, though, is is cable thickness. So if the wire gauge is extremely small inside of the cable, which is uh, pretty standard with really cheap cables, uh, there is an I-squared-R loss across the cable over long runs. So uh, keep that in mind. Um, and if you don't know what I-squared-R losses are, then uh, look for Ohm's Law. Search for Ohm's Law, and I'm not going to explain it because that's too much for this show. Ooh. Anything else before we move on on this field recorder, Mitch? I'm moving on. I'm throwing this one under the bus. Let's go down the line. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Here's a camera you will probably never own. Uh, It's all of the sexiness that you can possibly want, and it is the combination of two names. And I'm going to say two names because even though all the literature on the new Panavision DXL 8K camera uh, says three companies combined to make this, uh, the iron or light iron company is part of Panavision. So it's not three companies, it's two companies that have come together, Red and Panavision. Now, this is a similar uh, conglomeration as the previous Panavision camera that was, I believe, Sony and Panavision working together to create a camera. This time, Red is working with them. Uh, It is suspected that most of the internals of this new camera are uh, red electronics and a red sensor and Panavision is responsible for the color science as well as the outside build and design. Uh, Mitch, both of us have been looking at this camera. Do you want me to go over the specs first or do you just want to start diving into what you think about uh, this particular monster? Well, first of all, let's just let's just play with it. I mean, everybody can read the specs somewhere else, right? It's 8K and it's 16-bit and it's got red raw compression which they don't totally understand what the compression level is yet blah 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 blah. um i've seen a couple of people on twitter talking about buying one of these you cannot buy cannot buy this is a rental only the news shooter uh did a good interview with i i didn't write down his name one of the um yeah it's escaping me too mitch so don't worry one of the guys in hollywood uh the cinematographer uh, and and the the release date is is hopefully first quarter of 2017 so you're talking about virtually a year from now nine months or more and it's going to be rental only you can't you won't be able to buy this and the rental prices according to the the cinematographer that was interviewed by news shooter would be comparable to the area alexa uh 65 which is i don't i tried to find pricing on that and it's it's one of those deals where if you have to ask <laughs> then you can't afford it out of your price range but interestingly enough in and i find that you really ought to listen to that interview because uh, i found it fascinating for those of you who are noobs like me i mean you know we we understand a little bit about hollywood 
but he stated in there that there are only 30 to 35, I think, I forgot whether it was exactly 30 or 35, uh, area Alexa 65s. So there, in, and if this is in that kind of same range, right, in, in terms of the market, they're not going to build a whole lot of these. They're, they're, they're going to be pretty rare. They have two of them now, right, that are working prototypes. Um, and so when you're going to get to get your hands on, well, you and I aren't going to get our hands on one of these anyway. No, absolutely not. This is way out of my price range. And, and this is actually the, the low production and rental to only major, uh, major studios for very specific titles is pretty common. If, if you look at uh, Red's history uh, in the past when I believe uh, Mysteria X came out, uh, it was only delivered to a handful of sets for uh, filming, and it didn't become widespread for quite some time after that. Uh, you don't really have enough of a market to make thousands and thousands of these cameras because they'd be very spendy. But if you make... 20 or 30 of these cameras, you can easily charge an extraordinary amount of money for rental fees, never ever give up the product, earn your money back plus then some, and create sort of an elite camera range for those productions. Because, you know, everybody can shoot on a regular camera, but who can shoot on this camera? Yeah. And that separates the giants from the regular size people those people with the multi-million dollar budget right can get a hold of this and yeah, you I mean, and I... uh, even even some of the red packages at this current time frame will set you back somewhere in the range of six to eight thousand dollars a week uh, wow. so that's a fairly significant investment um and when i say red packages that includes the lenses batteries uh the red media and, and so on so it's not just the camera body itself uh, but you look at the fully decked out camera body and you're talking 50 to 60,000 so if you can get everything you want shot in a one week or a two week period you've still saved uh, quite a substantial amount of money on the device itself uh and then they can rent it out again and again and again. And with this, it's the same story. I'm sure the margins are the same for almost every rental agreement. And I, I wouldn't guess that the margins are any worse than a standard rental agreement for uh, this monstrosity. Now, right. the name we were searching for, and I looked it up while I was rambling, is Bill Bennett, ASC. Yep. Uh, that, there's a great interview on newshooter.com. So go listen to that on SoundCloud. Also, a few side notes about this camera. It generates 4K proxies and records 8K in R3D, which is red code. It will not be compatible natively with Red Cine X, which is the workflow you'd normally use for a standard red camera. Uh, they set a flag in there that uh, basically stops you from using uh, Red Cine X with the 8K footage, and I'm guessing there may be some sort of extra rental or licensing agreement. Yeah. Uh -huh. to go along with that so you can get your 4k no problem uh if you want 8k you're gonna have to pay for it and <laughs> uh it sounds similar to what they did with the odyssey mitch uh, you remember the odyssey monitors where right. if you wanted certain formats recorded right. internally you pay extra which, which i think they eventually gave up on didn't they didn't did, they i don't know i haven't paid attention to the odyssey in a while i know they offered more formats later on for free but I don't know if they ever 
gave up the ghost on or on raw recording internally. Well, I did find it interesting now that I, I go back and I'm, I'm looking at uh, the new Shearer page. Uh, and I remember Bill Bennett in, in the audio thing said he really thought it was pretty nice with this new box because everything was integrated uh, and he wasn't going to have a whole lot of cables. And what's the, the image that they show, the photo courtesy of Bill Bennett from the DXL launch event, uh, which you showed earlier. Uh, I see a lot of cables there. And it's a very cabled <laughs> up. It's... So uh, I'm, I'm a little confused by that, too. But So one of the cables there is going to uh, uh, a monitor. Well, I guess there is a monitor included, right? Uh, it yeah, it looks like isn't that one of the um, the red not Red Rock Micro but uh, the, uh, the the red the Octa Octa yeah. you know right. what I'm talking about yeah the circle names, <laughs> names DJ you and me and names maybe we should call this the nameless podcast yeah no joke uh, <laughs> I think anyway. what he was referring to though if you ever put together like a red package um, because red cameras are designed modularly. Uh, your your brain unit, which has your sensor in it, is connected to a deck for recording, is connected to a battery deck, is connected to an output deck, is connected to a monitor, is connected to a handle, and you build it up or tear it down to the size that you intend to shoot on, and those cables start going everywhere. Uh, you will eliminate some cables, but if you're running uh, audio sync, which I, I would consider probably uh, um, definite with a camera like this there's a cable unless you're doing it wirelessly uh, now you have a monitor there, there's a cable unless somehow you do that monitor wirelessly uh, then you go to the eyepiece that's uh, gonna set you back another cable uh, batteries and external power xlr power out to other devices that's another cable <laughs> i mean you can't strip it down too much the the best example of no cables is uh is probably that uh remember that airy mini it was about thirty thousand dollars yeah that one you could probably just go with a monitor and the box and that would be one cable and with that configuration you would be mostly cableless nice see that's that's a goal let's <laughs> let's go cableless I don't know. Can't you just gaffer tape it to the side of the camera? Yeah. Let's go Bluetooth. Let's all do it with Bluetooth. Oh, that's okay. not Moving on. All right. Let's uh, real quick talk about the specs. Uh, this does record 8K at up to 75 frames per second in a 2.4 to 1 compression rate and 60 frames per second in 8K mode at 1 to 1 compression. Uh, 4K proxies, of course. It is a red sensor that's 16-bit, 35.5 megapixel CMOS sensor. That's 8 1,192 by 43020 with a native ISO of 800 and possibly proprietary SSD media. Anything else you think is important that people might want to know about with this camera, Mitch? I did think it was very interesting that Bill talked about the fact that this is only about 10 pounds in weight that you could use it on a drone. And I'm thinking to myself, self... You're renting a Panavision camera that's going to cost you, what, eight, ten grand a week, whatever. Are you really going <laughs> to try to mount this to a drone? Why wouldn't you just use something smaller? And that's only going to be a couple of shots, right? Go get the Canon XC10. How's that for a plug? <laughs> 
<laughs> Cannon talked about that being a drone camera, right? I'm, I'm just really reaching. Never mind. Well, and I believe that was at the Airy Carbon Fiber Mini was also for was a drone compliance uh, capable of being extra light. Let's, let's put something inexpensive on a drone because those things don't stay in the air sometimes. Well, and then we were debating too. Uh, think about the lenses for this. Uh, um, new Panavision lenses, you, you rent only pretty much. And uh, Mitch and I were arguing back and forth whether or not you could possibly buy an old Panavision lens on uh, the you might used be market. Able to find an old one, yeah. And I was looking around, and I'm not seeing anything on eBay, but I wouldn't put it past the possibilities. Uh, you do generally rent those. The other thing right. people are excited about is being able to shoot. Uh, I already forgot, so never mind. They're not excited <laughs> about it at all. No, uh, <laughs> wide format on a, a 4K image, so you can shoot. Uh, um, okay, I'm done. I, it's gone again. I had it for just a second, and then I lost it. <laughs> Let's talk about Nikon batteries. Yes, thank you for the transition, Mitch. You're saving me from flailing. Uh, Nikon, <laughs> who has been suffering from a many an ill fate, has again had another issue. Uh, if you'll notice here, here are two Nikon batteries. Uh, Pre-2013, Nikon batteries uh, had some lithium-ion issues, even though they were labeled as 1,900 milliamp hours and 14 watts. The LIION-01 version of the battery made before 2013, but shipped with some of the D500s. Uh, is not capable of keeping up with the amount of photos claimed in the manual. And for that reason, Nikon will be freely replacing batteries uh, for D500 owners with uh, that particular spec. Uh, batteries failing, uh, I want to also point out that Nikon's not the only one. Have you ever had the issue with Canon batteries where you buy a genuine brand new Canon battery and because their protection inside the camera is so stringent canon's own cameras don't recognize them no oh that would be shockingly horrible it's a irritating issue with the canon 6d and i believe the 70 mark ii when you go buy a brand new canon battery you stick it in there and three quarters of the time it works and occasionally you get that warning that tells you you are using a generic battery which is extremely frustrating when you spend fifty dollars on a Galdarn battery. Thanks. <laughs> anyway, this is a, just another series of sad news for Nikon, who has otherwise created two very lovely cameras with the D500 and the D5. Unfortunately, Nikon is not doing so well. So let's hope that they pick themselves up by their bootstraps and meander back out into the field with a good sales year on the D500 and D5. Anything else to add to that, Mitch, before we move on? Uh, yeah, if you can get a free battery, go get it. Yeah, I don't know if they let you keep the original battery or not, or if you have to submit that as proof that you got the older one. Uh, I did not go through the warranty process to find out because I do not actually own the batteries. Now, this next one is yours, Mitch. This is a, a, a giveaway, and you've been doing a lot of these lately, and I, I think everybody appreciates free stuff. So tell me about the syrup giveaway that's going on right now at planet5d.com. Well, if you go to planet5d.com slash giveaway, N-O-O-B, giveaway noob, uh, then you can enter this brand new giveaway. Syrup is giving away. And if you're looking at the photo, if you're watching online, you can see they've got the 
they've got two devices. One's called the Genie, which is a really large box. And then they have the Genie Mini, which does very much the same thing. Uh, and what they've done is they've they've put a bracket together so that you can use two Genie Minis together. And it's kind of an L-shaped bracket if you're not watching. And you, they call that the Pan Tilt Kit. So you get two Genie Minis and the bracket together. That's our first prize. Uh, the second prize is a Genie Mini. And the third prize is their uh, short track of their Magic Carpet Slider. So... We're giving away all three of those items. If you come over to that planifyd.com slash giveaway noob link, you can sign up. And then if you if you share that with your friends uh, on Twitter and Facebook, we give you extra entries for sharing it. And if somebody comes along and signs up via your sharing link, you get an extra 10 entries. So that encourages you to share and share often. And sir, it makes some nice stuff, uh, especially if you're doing... Uh, uh, stop motion or you're doing a time lapse you can do some really great stuff with their controller heads and just motion in general yeah. I, I've always I've always enjoyed going to their booth at NAB and just playing around for a while <laughs> alright moving on down the line let us wow we are moving fast today uh, we always <laughs> seem to talk about action cameras even though we continue to say that the action camera market in general is diminishing and that it is becoming a commodity. So let's go ahead and talk about the next wacky thing in action camera design, and that is adding a set of mirrors to the front of your GoPro, shooting in 4K, and allowing you to create a stereoscopic image on the somewhat cheap. And I say somewhat cheap because there is no price yet on this. They will be announcing that shortly in an attempt to get buzz built up. But this comes from a company called Viterma, and I'm probably <laughs> pronouncing that very incorrectly. The, the interesting thing about this is it's actually designed to work with items like the Google Cardboard phone adapter or some of the Samsung VR devices. Now, if you're not familiar with those, it basically plays images separately on the left and right portion of the screen while placing those directly in front of your eyes to give you a sort of stereoscopic 3D experience. With this particular mirror setup, it is basically recording two different perspectives simultaneously on a single 4K stream into your Hero 4 Black Edition in 4K. And then that can be played back on your Google Cardboard headset or your Samsung VR headset or any number of others in order to get a weird 3D experience out of action events. Mitch, are you excited about this at all, or is this just another goofy GoPro accessory that will probably die as fast as it was released? I am so excited about this, DJ. Um, it's kind of cool if you're into 3D, and I don't know if you ever knew this, but have you ever taken uh, two photographs of the same thing and put them side by side and crossed your eyes? Do you know you can see 3D if you have two of the same images? I did not. I don't spend much time with my eyes crossed. Um, it's This is actually something that I have been doing since a teenager. I used to actually cut out, like if I got two newspapers, I would, I would cut out the images. I learned this trick when I was a kid, so that tells you how old this is. Uh, but if, if you, 
you know, if you cross your eyes right and make the third image in the middle, you can actually see 3D. It's very much like a stereopticon, which I actually have in, in the living room. I don't know if you ever, you know what a stereopticon is. Yeah, the old timey wood yeah. slash leather. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so it's not exactly right, but I, so they have a demo 3D video, right? When you, and, and when you do this, when, with this little mirror trick that they have, you obviously are not getting widescreen, right? Because you're taking the same image and basically replicating it on your video. So you're not getting a nice widescreen image. You're getting two images side by side, which are virtually almost squarish. But if you stand back a little bit when you're watching this video and you cross your eyes, you can actually see the 3D effect without needing any fancy what is $15 Google Cardboard or $3 video thing. Uh, but it does work, and it's kind of fun to watch a little bit. The only thing they demonstrated on this video, unfortunately, is a guy skiing. So I got a little tired of that after about a minute. Uh, I wanted to see something different, but it does seem to work. If you're into 3D video, that's pretty cool. For those of you watching the video, uh, you can see on the screen right now the separated sections in the YouTube video. And I encourage you to go ahead and watch it. It does look as though they are a slightly different perspective. Mitch, am I just fooling yeah. myself with that uh, no. assessment? No, and, and, and that's because what they have done is put those two mirrors in their arrangement. So you are getting more of a stereo effect than if you just took uh, you know, the trick that I was talking about at the beginning, where you just take two of the exact same images, if you get a little displacement, uh, it looks a little bit more effective. Uh, but it's 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 a fun trick if you learn how to cross your eyes easily and not get a headache. It's kind of fun. Also, folks, if you're not familiar with Google Cardboard, here's basically uh, an example of that. Uh, there are various flavors of this online and fancier. The cardboard one is literally made out of cardboard, and it allows you to stick your phone in front of your eyes and strap it to your forehead via this strap and ah. see the screen in two different sections. Uh, there are other apps available for this that allow you to, uh, you know, explore worlds and things of that nature in a 3D setting. And from what I understand, it is a pretty enjoyable experience. I have a Samsung Galaxy S7, and I've never bothered to strap it to my head. It just isn't something that has appealed to me. Mitch, have you ever tried any of the Google, Google Cardboard style uh, phone adapters in no, person? I, uh, actually, um, no. I did try the VR, one VR headset at NAB this year, which was uh, kind of impressive. And, and it, it, just, it just looks so silly. I took Barry Anderson, my good friend Barry Anderson was with me. And I took some photos of him as he was you know, staring and looking around at the sky and, you know, it just, you look really goofy. And it's, it's again, and to, to me, it's still sort of a gimmick. I, I can't imagine doing a whole lot of things on any kind of long-term basis with the big old headset on my ears. I mean, my head, my eyes, wait, I have well, there are a few examples I've, I've seen where it's interesting. If you want to explore, say, a, a pyramid or something like that that you're not allowed to go into, it's, it gives you the opportunity to do that. What I kind of want to see is someone making a compelling story that right. goes along with that because – 
you know, I could put these glasses on and I could walk around uh, the Garden of the Gods, for example, and uh, that would be great. I could see what someone there had recorded and, and seen the area and so on, but that gets sort of boring. Uh, <laughs> and if you're going to wear these for any amount of time, you still need some sort of, I don't know, interesting or compelling thing to happen in order to make it an enjoyable experience. I don't know if that would be uh, possibly handing off the 3D view to a drone where you flew around the area like a bird and then landed back on the ground again. Or, you know, you had a tour guide of some kind walking you through all of the things while you looked around and sort of followed on rails. I mean, that could be a really good learning experience for kids in geography class, I would think. And honestly, there are a few places that I can't go to right now because they're war-torn that I wouldn't mind having a tour guide walk me through in 3D. So uh, there are things that could make this awesome. Um, are they out there yet? I haven't seen them. doesn't mean they don't exist, but I have well, one seen One them. thing that I, I would be curious to see how well it works would be a virtual reality recording of a let's say a, a broadway show oh. where you you know you could so there's a i mean it would be sort of like sitting in the audience but if the camera were on stage you would be a little bit more immersed in it than if you're just sitting out in the audience and because it's all done on a stage it's not like you have to move around right it's it's kind of like you know because i was telling you about the experience i had before with the video that was over over uh, Angel Falls, the, and they kept switching views on you. That's Switching views is really bad. You need to have the camera kind of in one location or moving uh, or be able to move through a scene. But maybe a, a Broadway play would be something interesting in, in VR. Now, imagine a Broadway play where you could select the character that you wanted to see through their perspective. Yeah. And, you know, as the protagonist or as the hero, uh, you could go back and forth between the two and see the two react. Um, logistically, though, that would mean basically filming the play X number of times for the number of characters in right. repetition uh, to create all of the footage that you need, uh, plus any sort of cut shots. And you'd almost still need some sort of intuitive way to uh, switch back and forth without forcing the end user to be in cut mode the entire time right. as right. your complaint is. So right. that would be a really interesting logistics study in three-dimensional filming. I would love to see something like that. There you go. See? All right. <laughs> something you don't want to love seeing is your lens is not working with your camera. And unfortunately, ah. Canon has put some special sauce in the 1DX Mark II. The 1DX Mark II has both Tamron and Sigma running for the hills with press releases this week on issues with their lenses. Uh, Tamron is having issues with the lens in live view mode, and Sigma is having issues with overexposure in certain exposure compensation modes. Uh, both of these are in the works of resolving themselves. Uh, Sigma has the nice little uh, lens adapter that allows you to basically update your firmware uh, at a user level or at a camera shop of some kind. And Tamron is allowing users with older lenses to send them in. There are links in the show notes to the affected lenses, and they will only affect you if you're purchasing a $6,000 camera. Now, <laughs> Mitch, do you think this is Canon sort of cracking down 
on uh, third-party lenses? Well, I would certainly hope not. But um, I've always said that the money's in the lenses. And I, I, I think it's logistically i think it's just a mistake canon knows better than to try to screw a whole bunch of people out of using particular lenses with their bodies so i can't see that that's really intentional personally i was thinking maybe they changed the way the uh 1dx mark ii's autofocus and metering system works uh the live view issue for tamron lenses possibly indicates that the AF continuous mode in video formats might be the source of the problem and uh, the overexposure problems with the Sigma lenses, also an AF style issue. Uh, Do you think the 1DX has that much of a change in its AF system that provides uh, better AF compared to previous uh, generation cameras? Well, there could also be... Theoretically, based on what I know about software, I don't know necessarily that it applies to cameras, but if, if, for example, if you have an API, right, so an automatic program interface in software, yep. and you change the specs of the API, then theoretically code that was written before that will break. Right. So maybe Canon simply changed a little bit of the internals and Tamron and Sigma were doing something that was maybe not so uh, legitimate that worked. And now Canon's gone, well, we're we're just closing down the API. I don't know if that's the right term in terms of the way this hardware and software works together. But maybe maybe they were just using a little bit of software that just isn't there anymore that could be the case or it could be a possibly an entire table of canon lenses programmed into the camera and if it doesn't recognize the lens it doesn't necessarily uh provide the right lookup table for the information to adjust the lens accordingly uh in that Mm -hmm. case uh, maybe tamaron and sigma make their lenses appear to the camera as though they are a branded canon lens There there you go and speaking of which, uh, the reason I was being conspiratorial about uh, Canon uh, thwarting <laughs> lenses is uh, if you look at the uh, VC versions of Tamron lenses, which is basically their image stabilization, uh, Tamron has been offering those in primes at a fairly significant discount compared to the prime uh, IS versions of Canon lenses. And the Canon version of those lenses are, I believe, F2.8 generally, whereas Tamron is offering uh, image stabilization in the lens at F1.8 for a lot of their offerings. So uh, those are very sexy offerings from Tamron, and uh, I don't see Canon coming up with any competition for that. The 1DX Mark II is sort of video-centric in that it shoots 4K and has some of the other capabilities that were missing from the previous 1DX. Now, speaking of which, when do you think we'll see the 5D Mark IV? I was talking with a gentleman yesterday uh, about lenses bodies and he was wanting to buy a new camera right now and i told him to hold off until october because a lot of cameras would be announced and the old cameras would be getting cheaper do you think that's still the case with these uh uh, earthquakes that uh, have affected sony factories well that's a good question i don't 
I don't know about Canon. Um, I do know that uh, the 5D Mark IV is out being tested by multiple people. Uh, I spoke with one individual at NAB who told me specifically that he was getting a copy to test um, in the June timeframe, I think is what he said. So he probably has it now or will have it shortly. Uh, so, and that, and that was for final testing before I probably shouldn't be saying this out loud. Uh, yeah, I? Mitch, if you are under uh, NDA, please do not. Uh... I am not. Okay. No, I'm not. I'm not under NDA, and and he was, but I'll certainly never tell anybody who said that. <laughs> uh, but but it's also been reported on Canon rumors that there are multiple copies that are out in the field. It's not like the, an unknown thing. They're they're out there. We know they're out there. Uh, the people that are testing them are, although Canon would like them to be super tight lipped, they're not. <laughs> um, that's just the way it is, right? Uh, but so. So we theoretically, if that's if that's true, then the 5D Mark IV will be here, probably announced at Phonokina, and probably be available before the end of the year, whether it's October or not. I don't know, and and it could be that uh, the earthquakes in Japan could set things back a little bit in terms of delivery, but I think the announcement will still happen. Uh, who knows? Who knows? I know uh, Olympus specifically is affected uh, by this issue, and the availability of the A6300 is also affected uh, by that issue. Uh, the Olympus sensor is a Sony sensor, from what I understand, and because of that, it won't be coming out on time. Is uh, basically the again quoting the rumor sites, uh, but uh, Panasonic the GH5. Uh, should not be affected. Uh, Panasonic makes their own sensor. So hopefully in October, to go along with the 5D Mark IV, we'll have a Panasonic GH5, which would make me very happy. Now, on a <laughs> side note, if you do want to jump into 4K, you can get a 5, or excuse me, a 1DC for as low as $4,000 on really? eBay right now. And I've actually seen these jump in price and drop in price back and forth between about $3,000 to $4,000. So if you don't want to spend the full $6,000 on a 1DX, but you would like the capability of shooting 4K, the 1DC is still out there and people are selling it off. And I'm guessing it'll sell off even faster when a 5D Mark IV hits the market. Now, yeah. this last thing in the news here, Mitch, is yours, and this is a film challenge. Tell me more about this. This is uh, two companies who have gotten together to do something kind of cool. Film Supply, uh, which is... Um, my brain's just gone dead. A uh, subsidiary of... Sh 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 Shutterstock? Shutterstock, thank you. Uh, and Musicbed, who, all right, so so Film Supply is delivering uh, video film clips, stock video film clips that you could purchase and and put in whatever you know. If let's say you're going, you have a, a, a why is my brain suddenly not working? All right, so you're making a film and you have a setting in New York City, but you live in Los Angeles, right? 
you can buy stock footage of New York City to set the scenes, let people get the feeling of, you know, the skyline of New York or something like that. So there's quite a few little companies that will sell you stock footage. There's also companies that will sell you, sell you music. Musicbed is one of them, and I, I like Musicbed. I've purchased music from them before. So these two guys have gotten together, guys and gals. These two companies have gotten together, and they teamed up with putting together this film challenge where you don't have to shoot a single lick of film. Huh? So what, what you do is they've made available some footage and music from both sites and you edit those together to make a 60 second short and they've got a hundred thousand dollars worth of prizes that are available uh, to win if you enter this and they've got some they get philip loam and jane hurlbutt and a whole bunch of name uh uh not editors, what the judges? God, my brain. <laughs> what the hell happened to my brain? Uh, so they got some big name judges. Ryan Connolly's in there. Uh, so uh, hundred thousand dollars worth the prizes. So if you go to filmsupplychallenge.com, you can go enter that. And editors might be really good at at, at winning those prizes, which editors typically don't have a whole lot to win, right? Mostly it's. <laughs> So put some put a little story together based on some sh- sh- footage you get from Film Supply and put in some awesome music from Musicbed and win big bucks. I think the moral of the story here is go over to filmsupplychallenge.com, check out the film that they have, and check out the music that they have downloaded and mash it up into a less than one minute film that will be judged by very predominant people in the film industry. And then you have the possibility of winning a road package, a Keesler package and many other items that add up to what a hundred thousand dollars is what you said, Mitch. So get out there and do that. And you could get some free kit. Uh, I really, there's a lot of companies that do these uh, film challenges slash, uh, uh, submission type of deals or themed video type of deals. And it's always funny to me when I see one that only 40 or 50 people submit to. And you think about the odds for that of winning, especially if there's three or four prizes, uh, it puts you right up there. And with something like this, it sort of levels the playing field because now you aren't trying to gather your own footage or film something. You're literally diving into the exact same repertoire that everybody else is working out of. So your creativity with that footage and that music determines what you will win or if you will win at all. And that, uh, that makes it pretty much even across the board. It's all in the individual's creativity with what they do with those clips. Yep. Very, very well said. Thank you for fixing my brain that's not working right and and neither one of those guys are sponsors for me right now so it's not like i was paid to promote this or anything crazy i just thought it was pretty cool yeah free stuff is always good man and it's nice that uh, you're doing a lot of these uh uh giveaways and stuff mitch i appreciate that uh, uh, having those available to people a lot of times they don't know about them and if you can get in there i mean you know you sign up maybe you don't win but maybe you do win and that's, that's right. free kit for you. And any free kit helps, especially low-budget filmmakers, get their stuff made. Now, anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here, Mitch? Um, no, I'm excited to get my lens this afternoon and go shoot them. 
I um I actually have a Zoom H6 showing up today uh, for testing, so I will also be playing about. And then, strange strange side note: uh, a company hired me to do a promo video for a dog leash, uh, which wow. is really strange. And uh, I'm getting paid for it, so I'm gonna strap some GoPros to. <laughs> A dog leash and film my adorable dogs wandering around the park and enjoying themselves. It should be a a fun time had by all. On that note, guys, where can people find you, Mitch? I'm at a website called planetsidefeet.com. And of course, guys, you can find me at dslrfilmnoob.com. You can find me on Twitter at dslrfilmnoob. You can find this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, or anywhere podcasts are distributed. Please be sure to leave your questions, comments, complaints in the YouTube comment section because we check those out. We love hearing from you and we love your reviews. So be sure to review, rate, and subscribe as necessary. We appreciate every last one of you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And we will see you next time on another episode of DSLR Film Noob Podcast. <laughs>